Welcome to Covenant Conversations. Today, Peter and I are going to speak about the Trimark saga, which continues, and the repercussions for the loan market. This has been an eventful year, and one of the latest developments in the world of leveraged loans has been up to recapitalizations using terms in loose documentation, also known by some as credit on credit of violence. In the U.S., up-tier recaps of Sergio Simmons, board riders, and Trimarks have been very controversial, and all three have been challenged in court. Hey, Peter, how are you doing? Good. How's it going? Good. Let's talk about Sergio Simmons, board riders, and most recently, Trimark. We have spoken about this issue and these recapitalizations in a few podcasts prior and also recently in a webinar, and you've been on the ground avidly writing about it. So at this stage, it would be helpful if you give us an overview of these two transactions, what happened, where they are, and how the minority lenders challenged them. Um, yeah, so all three of these were, were kind of very similar transactions. Um, the, the borrowers um, amended their credit agreements with uh, consent from majority lenders uh, to give them a super priority debt capacity. Um, all three of them incurred that super priority debt um, and then used that uh, in a debt for debt exchange uh, with the majority lenders who gave them that debt capacity through the amendment. Um, they relied on open market purchases to be able to do the debt for debt exchange. Um, and in board riders and uh, Trimark, the lenders, uh, the majority lenders also stripped the covenants from the credit agreements. Um, so, yeah, all three uh, all three groups of minority lenders have sued. Um, we are still waiting for re responses from Trimark and board riders. Um, and in sort of Simmons, um, the, the, the mi minority lenders um, sought to, uh, you know, put an injunction on the transaction and the judge uh, denied that. But uh, that is still an ongoing uh, transaction as well. Now, all three uh, groups of lenders have, have put out um, kind of different arguments. They, they all revolve generally around the same principles. But uh, just to kind of summarize, uh, CERTA, the CERTA minority lenders' main argument was that the transaction was in violation of the pro rata sharing provisions. Um, the board riders, uh, minority lenders, argued that um, because it was a debt for debt exchange at at above market prices and just with a with a group of lenders, um, that trans <clears throat> those were not open market purchases. And uh, the Trimark minority lenders, who just filed their complaint uh, last weekend. Um, argued that um, because the definition of required lenders excludes um, term loans that are subject to open market purchases of the borrower and their affiliates and sponsors, uh, that that definition excludes the majority lenders from even constituting required lenders because their term loans were going to be subject to uh, open market purchases. And so their their main argument was that the amendment was invalidly entered into in the first place. Uh, because it only got consent from the majority lenders who weren't even required lenders in the first place. Thanks. That's really helpful. Sounds like there some creative arguments are being created to challenge these transactions. What for sure? What arguments do you think have validity or strength and might convince a judge, if any? Well, so you know that's kind of where I think the uh, not not problems, but maybe the differences of opinion lay. I, I think if you are uh, looking purely at the four corners of the credit agreements, and um, you know are not are not taking into account any external factors or you know common sense uh, ideas of what you know an un undefined open market purchase means, 
Um, I think on their face, all three of these transactions uh, were were allowed to uh, be consummated uh, under the documents. The problem is, and and, and you know, who knows if it's actually if it will ever amount to a problem. But um, you know, when you when you go into court, um, a judge doesn't do, you know doesn't necessarily just look at the four corners of the document. They will take into account um, external factors. They'll look maybe at intent, at uh, you know what are common business practices. Um, do practitioners in certain industries um, think when they hear certain terms? So, um, I mean, if you were to ask me, you know, in a vacuum, um, which which group of lenders had the most convincing argument? I don't think any of them did. I think I think um, you know, I think these these transactions were were almost certainly allowed by the very by the terms of the credit agreements. But um, when when you bring uh, you know litigation into uh, into the equation. Um, you know, I, I don't know enough about how judges rule to kind of say that a judge will, you know, will definitely over overrule the uh, overturn these or will side with the majority lenders. But um, from a just a purely debt document perspective, I, I don't think any of the any of the minority lenders have uh, a particularly convincing argument. And what consequences do you think would be on the loan market? depending on how a judge ruled, either it said that these transactions were permitted under their debt documents and, you know, under the four corners of the document, you are allowed to do this, so you can do this, and that's that, without bringing into play extrinsic evidence or um, outside external factors, or if the judge said that these transactions were invalid, what would the repercussions yeah. be on the loan market? I mean, it's an interesting question because I, I think kind of, uh, you know, it's almost a lose-lose situation. Um, if a judge sides with the majority lenders and says that, yes, these documents allowed uh, these transactions to happen, um, you're going to create, a, you know, a serious friction between uh, borrowers and lenders. And um, they're going to be scouring, uh, you know, new documents just to make sure kind of all these uh, you know, vague terms are either defined or, you know, just not even included. And, you know, you get, you're going to get to a point where a credit agreement is going to be 500 pages because for every, for every term that, that could give, that's like an action verb, like incur or, you know, purchase, they're going to need to kind of go over exactly what that means in, within the context of the document. So, you know, that's not a great outcome, but I, I think kind of the worst, the, 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 the more evil of the two um, would be if, if a judge kind of sees what, what these documents say and says that, OK, these were not permitted because, you know, there's no good faith or, you know, open market purchase. You know, when you hear that term, it obviously means uh, cash consideration at market prices. Um, I think that is kind of more harmful to the overall market because that is kind of calling into question the sanctity of the contract. And if you get to a point where. Um, you know, if a, if a credit agreement says, you know, you can incur $100 million of debt and you incur $100 million of debt and a judge says, well, actually, you know, we, we, we interpret that to mean something other than it means $100 million of debt. You're going to have people not kind of trusting what's in the document and, and kind of, you know, what's the point of all this negotiation when, um, you know, if you don't like what the borrower does, you go to court and a judge kind of takes into account things that are not in the contract. So, you know, on the one, so, you know, it's, it's just kind of which, which outcome is, 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 is preferable. And I don't, you know, I don't know which one that is, but on the one hand, you're going to have, um, 
you know, incredibly lengthy credit agreements and, and such hostility between the borrowers or lenders. And on the other hand, you're going to have people calling into question, um, you know, the true value of a contractual relationship um, if, if, if what is in the document is not, uh, is not respected. Picking up on two things you said there, one is that documents could become incredibly lengthy. Well, it's a bit ironic that documents are becoming longer and longer, but they're becoming longer and longer in favor of sponsors, not really in favor of adding more protections for lenders. And the second is, yes, there is a possibility of, you know, other maneuvers being pulled, other creative interpretations being taken, other ways to create a transaction which might not have been anticipated at the time the documents were put into effect. But to be very specific about these kind of up-tier recapitalizations and the risk they pose, something that has come to the light this year, for future transactions, for instance, you know, if a stressed borrower comes to you and asks for a covenant reset or a covenant waiver and you wanted to tighten your documentation in your favor, keeping for these recapitalizations, what change would you recommend lenders ask for? Um, I, I, if you have, if you require all lenders to consent to any changes in the priority of your liens, I think that uh, that kind of uh, is the one protection you can have that will um, that will make that will make sure that a sort of transaction doesn't happen. Um, you know, where a credit agreement doesn't allow open market purchases, you, you just need fifty percent. You just, you just need majority lender consent to add those. So, um, you know, the fact that it, uh, your credit agreement doesn't allow open market purchases in and of itself isn't going to do anything because that can be added in. But where you need things that require all lender consent. Uh, that will restrict a lot of these transactions uh, because, um, you know, you, you need all lenders to consent to the amendment section itself. So as long as um, it is in there in the first place that all lenders need to consent to lien subordination amendments, um, you can be assured that uh, any that a, a certain board writer's transaction will not happen. Um, anything else is just kind of a Band-Aid, which probably won't won't actually work. So for all the investors out there and all the lenders out there, in addition to tightening docs for reducing value leakage and preventing J.Crew-like transactions, the amendments provision is a really important one and there should be due focus given to it to ensure that you have the relevant protections so you can't have borrowers pulling a sort of like transaction. Forearmed, exactly. no, forewarned is forearmed. That's correct. Good talking to you as always. All right, take care. You too. Bye. Bye.